We are off and running with the most exciting part of the Bible for most people. The tabernacle. How many of you have been waiting since last year to get to this? Shemot, the book of Exodus 25, the Parsha is truma, it means portion, offering. So here we are, gold, silver, copper, turquoise, purple, scarlet wool, linen, and goat hair, red-dyed ram skins, tahash skins, who even knows what tahash is, acacia wood, spices, oils, shoham stones, breastplates, and ephods. Who has been counting the minutes to get back and read through all of this again this year? You don't have to answer. I know. The look of expectation and excitement on your face says it all. This is what it's all about. I get it. I get it. Now, you actually might think I'm being sarcastic when I say this is what it's all about. I've been accused of being overly sarcastic at times. So I want to be very, very clear with you. I am not being sarcastic. This is what it's all about. When we get through those first little ingredients of the tabernacle, we come to this phrase. Not the dolphin skins, the goat hair, the breastplate, not even the tabernacle itself. It's not the elements, it's the bigger concept that God wants to be with his people. And he wants you to be with him. And he says, They shall make a sanctuary for me, so that I may dwell among them. We'll come back to that. But you know what? Sadly, this part being serious and sad, very few people can relate at all to the tabernacle or any of these chapters in Exodus, and there are a lot of them. There's a lot of material. But Hashem takes so much time, so much detail, so much emphasis to explain its construction. The building, the materials, the priesthood, what they wear, the sacrifices, the order of the service in the tabernacle, twice, Twice in the book of Exodus, we get a whole big run-through of all this. David, the man after God's own heart, what did he long to do for God? To build him a house that he might dwell. Solomon, his son, did it. We read it in this week's Torah portion, which our Haftarah, 1 Kings 5. You read about Solomon and everything that went into this, and God's presence came and literally filled that place. And then the prophets, they come and they speak with the grave warning and despair about the fact that Israel's disobedience was going to destroy God's house. Of being exiled from, from the place where God had placed his name. 
And then the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel comes along, and he gives this very, very detailed picture of what it's going to be like when the house of God is rebuilt, and there's a third temple, and the sacrifices, and the priests, and the presence of Hashem, and our Messiah himself, what is one of his great tasks, according to the sages of Israel? He will rebuild, restore, and rededicate the house of God where he places his name. And that is a lot of tabernacle and temple when you think about how much of this is in the Bible that you read. And so, two questions. Why would all those people that I just talked to you about, why would they care so much about this? Israel, David, the prophets, even the Messiah. And second question, why would God's people today care so very little? Well, I'll tell it to you like this. When I was young, my, my grandfather, I called him Papa. My Papa lived in Newport News, Virginia. I loved him. I still love him. Like no one else ever on earth, I loved my Papa. And, you know, to this day, that's actually one of my biggest hopes for the world to come, is to see him and give him a hug and just be there. But, you know, at that time in my life, we lived a long way from Virginia. I saw him once or twice a year. And when we went to his house, there was nothing like it for me. There was no experience like being at Papa's house. His love, his presence, his laugh, his smell, as weird as that sounds. Everything about him. I loved being there. There was nothing like it. His house was special. The furniture, his stuff, the way he did things. Everything. Or the way he wanted me to do things. It was unique. It was special. But most of all, he was there. And I loved being where he was. And so that story is only to explain and give some comparison, maybe on a level, to what it must have been like to be able to go to God's house and have his very presence in your midst, in the air, tangible to feel it. For Israel, this going to the temple, to his house, participating in the tabernacle, there was no place on earth like this. It couldn't be duplicated. There was only one place. There still is only one place where God truly grounded his presence, the tangible presence on holy ground, the weight of his glory. And probably since God is love, we learn, you could probably sense, even among all the other activities, the feeling and closeness of God's love being there, a special place like no other, that he designed. That's the thing. He designed it. He gave the plans and he sent them down to Moses. And then that passed through. Can you even, can you imagine it? The answer is actually you probably can't because we have nothing that can compare to it. 
unless you are an Orthodox Jew who are crying out for the rebuilding of the temple and the restoration of God's presence in the Mishkan, it's really not most people's fault that when they arrive at these texts, they're like, dolphin, scarlet, wool, yarn, wood, sockets. Okay, let's get to something. Golden calf, yeah. Let's get some drama in here. And then you skip through, you get to the golden calf, it's like that bag, and where are, you, where are you again? Skins, yarn, wood, sockets, come on. It's no wonder, we have no connection to the idea of a holy space on earth where you walk in and you want to be on your face because the presence of God dwells there. We don't have a reference Churches and synagogues, they are often called God's house. This is not God's house. He only had one. It is, I'll tell you what it is. We we do treat this with respect. There, There is a holy text in our midst. We honor God here. We know we know before whom we stand. That's what it says. There's certainly reverence. We just have talked the last couple of weeks about honoring the sanctuary, making this a holy space. Judaism recognizes that after the exile, when there was no sanctuary on the Temple Mount, synagogues became the little sanctuary that Ezekiel specifically talks about. Ezekiel. Although, Ezekiel 11, although I've cast them far off among the heathen and although I've scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. Judaism says the, the, the synagogues became a little sanctuary. You know where the other little sanctuary is? Your home. Last night, particularly at the Shabbat table modeled after parts of the synagogue service that took place in God's house. Now you get a little bit of it in the little sanctuary of your home. But no matter how profound an experience you may have ever had in the little sanctuaries of life, whatever you know, worship service or deep prayer or in your private spaces where you meet God, no matter how profound the experience, it will never be that. There's no other papa, there's no other papa's house, there's no other God's house. And so, especially if you didn't grow up in Judaism with a connection to these ideas, you can absolutely understand how it is that the tabernacle and the temple and its associations may not be seen as a highlight of your annual Bible read. But again, I want to stress this. The idea of the tabernacle and the temple was so much more than pomp and circumstance and ritual and methodical sacrifice. And I'll go back to this again. I, I'm, I'm thankful that I get to honor my grandfather here, but in some way it was 
That comparison stands. It was, it was like Papa's house. It was where you met God, where, where he was, his stuff, his presence. And do you know the big deal that the prophets make about the exile and the destruction of the temple? You know why that's so important? One more example from my grandfather. Sometimes we couldn't go to him, and he came to us in Texas. And I remember when he was there, it was phenomenal. But then I remember the day would come when he would have to go home, and this makes me cry, 30 years later. And I didn't want him to leave. And we'd take him to the airport, and we'd walk, and at that time you could go to the gate with whoever was there. And we'd take him, and... He would leave. And I remember, and this is the analogy, I'd watch him walk to the jetway. And sob. Because first of all, I didn't know if he'd be back. He smoked cigarettes. I used to steal them every time I went to his house. And I'd get in his, de- I'd get in his top drawer where he hit them, and I'd break them all. <laughs> And he'd want to kill me, but he never, he never even got mad at me, really. But I'd watch him leave, and all the way home in the car, I'd just cry. And so the prophets make a big deal about God leaving, because it's a big deal when he left his house. I mean, even the term sacrifice, it's not about blood and guts. It's about drawing near. That's what it means. Karov, it means to, to draw near. And all that instruction and all that ritual and all that, that's what God wanted. He gave those instructions. That's how he wanted it done. Like it or not, there is an appropriate way that we approached God there. Just ask Nadav and Avihu. They had a, they had a very quick wake-up call when they brought strange fire into his house. But if, but, but if you'd miss this, you, if you stop there and just say sacrifices and all that, there's a huge misconception that many people are turned off by this stuff for one reason, replacement theology. What is the reason? Jesus hated all that stuff, right? He came and he did away with all that. We don't need a building to meet God. Well, in some level, that's true. You can meet God anywhere. You always were able to, but there's a building. He liked his building. He liked it. He wanted it built right where it was, and he wanted it done that way. And I, I cannot say this with 100% certainty. I'm not a prophet. But I'm fairly convinced from what I read in the text and my good friend Yecheskil, who writes that those who say that Jesus hated the temple and every other thing about it are going to be quite surprised when we arrive in the millennial age and Yeshua is in the temple 
while sacrifices are going on and all kinds of things are going to be happening. Because it's his father's house. Where else did you think I'd be found except in my father's house? Doing what? His business. But that's something else. What about now? What about now about God dwelling with us? Well, let's just real quickly, let's look at these little sanctuaries again that Ezekiel talks about. Let me throw in a a little pinch of Paul and a big spoonful of Yeshua to complete this recipe. Ezekiel, although I've cast them far off among the heathen, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. We are active participants in something related to God's presence. Paul says it very familiarly, in a very familiar way to everyone from 1 Corinthians 3. What does he say there? Do you not know? Can I do it, Irvin? Do you not realize? (laughs) Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God, God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. It turns out that through Yeshua, even though the Holy Spirit had been dwelling in others long before Yeshua, Moses, David, somebody else really important for our topic, Bezalel, who is the architect, designer, and builder of the Mishkan, who was of the tabernacle, inspired by what? The Holy Spirit. Even though that had happened before Yeshua, it turns out now that all of us, according to Paul, who are disciples of Yeshua, are in a sense little sanctuaries. I would go so far as to say, I know a whole bunch of Jews who don't believe in Yeshua, who are also beautiful little sanctuaries in the world. But we have a special thing with our Messiah. Paul clearly has in mind the temple in his comparisons, not ever suggesting that the original temple is like done, kaput, forever gone, but that until it's back, we are the containers of God's Spirit. You understand? You are the little sanctuary. And that through our service in the world to others, we bring a little bit of the presence with us for others to draw near to. We are not the temple, but like the synagogue We are a little representation of the temple in a sense that the temple was the place where the presence of God dwelt in majesty. We have now a little slice, a little piece of heaven, that is to say God, within us. We are little sanctuaries, which it turns out takes us right back to Parsha Truma, where we are in Exodus 25 this week. Let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them, bitocham. Which can also read, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell within them. Within. 
and who, like Yeshua, who everywhere he went, he was representing, he was sharing the kingdom, he was giving a little taste of what the kingdom would be like again when God's presence was really, truly restored in our midst. We bring a little taste of the kingdom as he instructs us to, when our lives and our deeds represent God in the world. Do you understand that? Your works The things you do in the world represent God to the world. And when they see you doing good things, you bring the presence of God closer to them. It's not complicated. It's not brain science. It's what the Bible says. So, when we consider the instructions and the specifics that surround the tabernacle, I want to give you one more little aspect that has to do with you as a, as a little sanctuary, and, and here's where I'll wrap us up. Hashem was so very specific about where he would dwell, right? He said, don't make sacrifices here. I put my name here. This is where you bring them. This is where this happens. This is where this service takes place. He gave that. And guess what? You are no different. He gave you a very precise set of instructions. It started right there. When he wrote out a guidebook for how you can represent as a little sanctuary in the world by following and living out the Torah the instructions of our master. And that is the purpose of the Torah, that it sanctifies the space, not just your physical body, but the space between your ears and the spiritual space within your rib cage that is right here, your, your lev, your lev, your heart. Yeshua was perfect. He was the perfect little sanctuary, filled to the brim with the presence, the essence. But he, he wasn't like anyone else, but... As disciples, he gave us these very specific instructions like God gave to Israel and how we represent. And you know, I, I had this deep revelation today, this, this week actually. I was pondering Yeshua's words, so many teachings, so many parables. And my goodness, it never struck me quite as plainly how untheological he was. He spent so much time, even in the parables, the unforgiving servant, the parable of the sower, so much time talking about how Torah in your life looks out there in the world when you treat other people well. That was his big message. Even the kingdom parables, even the kingdom itself is about being good to people. There's more, but that's at least a big theme. So, I'll, I'll say this. Like Israel, sense the presence of God in his holy house. When people are around you, they should sense the presence of God within your holy house, which contains just a little bit, maybe a lot. We don't know how much, but God is with us and in us. 
So, yep, you got a lot of tabernacle ahead of you in the Torah. You got a lot of chapters. You got some dolphin skin and silver sockets, and you're going to have people giving money to it, and it's going to get built and all this stuff. And then you keep on reading the prophets, and you'll read more about it. And then you get to Kings, and you read more about it, and David, and more, and more, and more, and more. And there are beautiful writings among the sages of what everything means, literally the sockets and the colors and why there was goat hair. I mean, there's a beautiful teachings and lessons we can draw from the skins and the sockets and certainly the sacrifices, but do not be a person who misses the bigger message, first and most obvious. God wouldn't waste this much time talking about something if he didn't really care about it. And if it wasn't really important and beyond all the details and everywhere you can get lost, I want you to walk through these texts with this in mind. It's all about God wanting to be with his people and wanting his people to be with him. That happened and will happen again in a unique way in the, in the temple. But it, it's still happening in this unique and incredible way within you. There's a little piece of heaven inside each of us. And each and every day, you choose whether you will see it and or and and whether you will live it out. So be the little sanctuary that you're intended to be. Shabbat Shalom.